0: I guess we're supposed to do this at the end of the show, but I have an unpopular opinion that I just need to drop right off the bat, and that is that Huntington Beach is a more exciting venue than, I'm not even going to try to say the name of the wave in Portugal because I'm going to get it all wrong, Um, but that slopey, just pretty average, if not below average point break that they served. It is god awful.
1: Hello and welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson and this week we have the Cusp team back on the show to talk about the current Challenge Series events, the Mio Visla Pro in Portugal that's just wrapped up and the upcoming Quicksilver Pro in France. But before we chat to Mike and Stace, let's chat to Big Dick Power Surfer, Stabs Editor-in-Chief, Brendan Buckley. And hello, Danny Johnson. Hello,
2: Mr. Barkley. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. We, uh, we settled into a nice run of autumn waves here, and that stopped today, I think, because the QS came to town, <laughs> and it exerts a force. I'm not sure if it's a, like a physical force or like a metaphysical force, but I know that it exerts a force to kind of adapt the conditions to, uh, to the QS criteria, CS yeah. criteria, whatever. <laughs> All right, our number one story this week, the return of the Vans Triple Crown of Surfing. Just like last year, it's digital, and it's very exciting.
1: And is it true that it's digital forever now? Is that is that what they've officially announced?
2: I mean, isn't everything digital forever now? Isn't that just life? Yeah,
0: that's true. Just kind
2: of plugged in. I mean, I think it's digital for the foreseeable future. I don't think you can ever really rule out things changing, you know, 20 years from now. But I think it's digi for the for as long as we could see ahead. Huh. And so it is still the same three triple crown waves that we all know and love, Hollyva, Sunset, and Pipe. How it works digitally is that you have a few months to go get two clips at each. Last year, John John Florence and Carissa Moore won. I don't know if you guys have heard of them, but uh, they're both pretty skilled surfers. <laughs> it's great. I mean, I, I actually really like the format. What do you think of it?
1: Yeah, I love it. At first, it's weird, and I think digital competitions have got a little bit of stink on them because there's it's just they're just hard. They've been there's been a few over the years that they're just hard to really get into. But I think now it's normalized a little bit, and it's the adva- There's just so many advantages, and I think uh, once this has been running for a few years, that when we look back at the old format, it's going to seem really weird. I, I think it, it opens up the door for the best possible surfing to be done in the best conditions, whereas. Before it might have been completely different challenges because you had to battle th- through people in heats, but it's it's not as fair because you can get you can get skunked in heats, you can get a hard draw, and so this is ultimately a way to prove the very very best. And John John and Chris have won last year, so it's
2: hard to argue that it works. I do think John John and Chris are going to win for the next twenty years. Uh, <laughs> I think just living on Oahu knowing those waves so well, especially John, you know, he lives right there on the North shore. He knows those three waves. Like I don't think you're able to beat him there. Mm. Uh, so congratulations to John John Florence on the van triple crown win this year. I'm going to go out and say that, uh, but I'm also going to say I'm excited. I think it's really cool. Yeah. I paid a huge
1: amount of attention to it last year because we did the pickup, which we'll do again this year stabs show over the Hawaiian season where we break down the, going, the goings-on and, and follow the Triple Crown in immense detail. We had the weirdest scenario last year. We were over in a studio in Australia because of the COVID protocols. We couldn't do it in Hawaii. So we were sitting – I was there sitting there with Harry Bryant and Holly Warren in a studio, this steaming hot studio in Australia trying to cover the Triple Crown from, you know, however many metres or miles that is away over the ocean – and so uh, we watched it and Vance has also introduced a, a, a focus on expression and experimentation. So even, even this year, there's a rule stipulated in there that you have to ride uh, what would be considered an alternate craft. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think that is what's going to keep things interesting.
2: What did you miss most about not going to Hawaii last year? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> not getting vibed out everywhere I go.
2: So what did you miss most, not what did you enjoy the most? All right, next story. This is huge news that shook the surf world this week. Uh, World longboarding champions are a thing. This this came out of the blue. Uh, Nobody saw it coming. Apparently they have world longboard champions and they were declared this week. Uh, This is the first you've ever heard of it? This is the first time I've ever heard of it, and it really caught me off guard. I was stunned. Strange and beautiful. We got a trophy for you, Joel. Hold that one up. Joel Tudor, a three-time world champ, from '98 to 2004 to 2021. (laughs) Um, I'm
1: surprised you just brought that up. I I uh, I didn't think you would care enough about this news to bring it
2: up. Well. I'm not really one for you know exaggeration, but I am probably one of the biggest proponents of longboarding in the 21st century. Um, you know, I've I've had a big voice in this space, so yeah, just kind of it caught me off guard. What did you think of it? I thought it was interesting that Joel Tudor won. He won his third world title. He
1: he won a couple of world titles way back when it was performance longboarding, and even though he's not known for it, I think he I think he had to throw some radical shapes around uh, on a. And to win those world titles, they are in like '98 and 2004, I read. And then uh, when he won this one, he's 45, so he's the oldest surf champ in history. And he said something along the lines of, um, "At least I beat Kelly at something," which I thought was a bit odd. How do you feel about that? I don't, I don't know if he, I don't know if we're going to call longboarding the same sport. I don't know if Kelly was in that comp, but he's considering a, a victory over Slater because Slater won his last world title at 39.
2: Yeah, you know, it's related to another story that the Cusp guys are going to get into. But I wrote a story about the WSL wildcard situation this week. And I kind of opened with a reminder that Kelly said he retired for three years when he was, I think, 26 to 29. It, isn't that kind of trippy? Yeah. It's, it's, pretty it's wild to think about. At that age, he, like, I mean, Sonny won, Aki won, and CJ won in those years he was off. But it's still, like it's pretty crazy to think like what Yeah, he probably could have racked those three up, right? Like it's, it's. I don't
1: know. I don't know. He, he had six and I think he would have been physically and emotionally spent. And I can only compare it to Michael Jordan who won his won three world titles with the Chicago Bulls in 91, 92, 93. And then he split and then came back and won three more. And I don't know if, if he didn't take that time off, I don't know if he would have continued winning through that period. I think the break and the little sabbatical there is is what is what helped them both come back with, with a lot of energy.
2: Yeah, I mean, fair enough. He came back and just started sparring with Andy. So another thing here, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but Jordy Smith did a longboarding contest uh, a month <laughs> yeah. or two ago. Yeah, it we was, spoke it about It his this. return. Okay, yeah, we did. We did. Um, I'm just bummed Jordy wasn't in the in the world championships. I don't, I think the WSL it was a huge oversight to not consider him. Um, and I would have loved to see him there, given it his all.
1: You know, like talking about Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan went and played baseball when he quit basketball, and this isn't as big a departure, but if Jordy Smith quit the World Tour to join the Longboard World Tour, that would be one of the most interesting post-World Tour career moves that's ever been done.
2: I mean, his name is Jordan. He serves as number 23. It's like, figure Um, it out.
1: Yeah, no, I should have, should have seen that coming. He's basically just playing yeah. copycat of Michael Jordan's career, other than the fact that he's never won a world title.
2: Exactly, yeah. It's true. And it's becoming increasingly obvious. <laughs> and one last thing on this. I was looking at, uh, just because this is what I do for fun, I guess, I was looking at the WSL rule book this week. It's like, you know, a few hundred page document. Well, <laughs> where do you find and that? Is that on the website? Exactly. You can find it on the website, yeah. And I was looking at some longboard stuff to research this. And you can't ride a board under nine foot because I was like, what would happen if somebody just, you know, tried to, what, like, what if you just put IDLO in it? Like, what, what would they do? Uh, and so they, they have all these regulations. Like, the most blatant one is just this boards have to be over nine o, And they don't have that for shortboarding. And I was like, I think they should at least make it so that you can't have a shit paint job. I think that there should they have should have some guy that's like tuned into design that you have to get your paint jobs approved to compete on the world tour.
1: Who what what paint jobs come to
2: mind when you other than Teds from from your hometown? Oh, Well, we got Teds. Uh I have never been a fan of Gabby's. They're just not for me. Mm, I can't even think of what's on his
1: boards other than 400 stickers.
2: Yeah. I don't know how he finds space, but he does, and he, he just kind of really harasses that space with paint. Okay, huge QSCS news. Zeke Lau is your Portuguese champion. Um, I want to talk about this just quickly. I know the Cusp guy. Hey, wait a to minute. It.
1: Are we not going to acknowledge that you already knew this before it happened?
2: Well, let's just say I've been 100% on my predictions on here. As we talked about when I went with Zeke, I went on a limb and, and was probably the only person in the world who was bold enough to pick Gabriel Medina to win the title this year.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I knew Zeke was going to win this event when I saw him do an air reverse onto rocks. Uh, you just don't do that and then lose a CS event. A bit of sad news around this one. It's not directly related to the contest, but <clears throat> Josh Moniz, who is a stab favorite, using stab high this year. Uh, he's done a lot of work with us. He got severely injured in Portugal. He was free surfing at Super Tubos during the event. And he hasn't said what exactly the injury is, but it's something with his neck and he had to get surgery there. He has posted about it on Instagram a few times and he called it a freak accident. And so I think if you're going off that information, it probably isn't something like that. That way if it gets super shallow, it'd be easy to fall weird and hit your head but you know it could have been something that was a little bit more of like a rare thing but it sounded scary for a while it didn't sound like he could feel his feet and you know neck injuries are never good so our thoughts are with him he's posted a few times about how the recovery is going well and he could feel his feet again but scary situation and um you know our thoughts are with josh
1: yeah so scary anytime someone's talking about the ability to move their feet, that's, yeah, hope he comes good and, and yeah, thoughts and prayers, Josh.
3: This
2: was a huge week in surf films. We've got a lot going on here, so let's get into it. A top one, this actually came out right around the time we recorded last week, but Reckless Isolation with Kolohe Dino and Friends uh, is an incredible movie. And they did an incredible thing by touring it to 14 stops around the US. I think it's uh, it's nearly an hour long. They went to Indo during 2020, got firing waves pretty much themselves and it is a crazy, crazy film. Did you happen to watch it, Danny?
1: Yeah, I managed to sneak onto that one early and I just, it was still around the time when it, what they did didn't even seem conceivable to me. I'm kind of used to the idea now and I've seen a few people that, that did it after them and that were based there and, and put some footage out. But when they when they accessed Indonesia at that time in mid-2020, the whole world was, it's hard to almost remember now because it's been this slow fade of opening back up. But at that point when they did that trip, the world was so locked shut. And this was a loophole that they were able to pounce on saying, oh, maybe they did go and investigate something in Indonesia and they were able to travel. And watching it, I, I, I still just can't, Still just seems so surreal. Like when do you think the next time that's going to happen? When someone's going to be on a boat cruising around the Mentau, he's surfing most perfect waves by themselves. That surely it won't be this century. It'll be in the 3000s. Yeah,
2: whenever COVID-20 comes out, I guess. <laughs> 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 There's there is some of the the drone footage in there. I mean the surfing is so good. The waves are so good, but the drone footage in there is almost the most jarring. You just see these perfect reefs. You see these waves pouring in, and you just see like four people in the water. And my brain just freezes and goes, I can't mm. compute it. I had, I like mm. stopped at one point, like, because there's like one where you can see a bunch of different setups, and I'm just like, how is this happening? I don't get it. I just surfed waist high onshore waves because the QS is in town. I don't understand. Um, but it's a great movie. And one of the coolest things they did, I mentioned before, is they toured it around the U S and Sam McIntosh actually interviewed Chloe for this. We've got that coming pretty soon. We learned that he went 40 K out of pocket to get a bunch of merch going for this. When they did the tour, they just filled this trailer with merch that Kalari just bought he just had a guy design and then made it and then just gave it to everybody I guess you had to buy a ticket at some of the stops and so he was like oh well you know show up and you'll get a free shirt or free hoodie or at least a free poster and so he went all in on that which is so cool out of pocket and he did one in around where I grew up and I talked to my friends about it and I don't think It's hard to put into words how much I think little communities like that appreciate like CT level surfers taking the time to show up and surf with everybody, hang with everybody, and show their film. Like it's you can't really say how much it means to them. And I think that was probably the vibe at every single stop they did. And what an awesome move by those guys. Like that's that's one of the coolest stories I've heard in a while. Um and so good job to them. And Go watch it if you haven't already. Yeah, highly worth your time. And I actually have a friend, Scotty Hammonds, who helped film it. He was on the boat uh, in Indo with them. So I reached out to him, and I just wanted to know what how that experience was. Scotty's been living in Indo for a while, and I'm sure he's done a ton of trips to the Mint. So I wanted his take on like what made this one stand out. And he sent me a voice note, and it's... Uh, it's surprising to say the least let's uh let's go ahead and play that
3: second question what was the funniest thing i saw during the reckless isolation trip um man there were so many funny moments on that trip just internally and with the boys and different moments um and the vibes were seriously always platinum. Like, there was not a down day once. Everyone was psyched and stoked every single day. But I guess one of the funniest things looking back on the trip was being on this five-star luxury boat, the Sibon Jaya, um, at sea for three weeks. And in that entire time, literally between all of us, we consumed 11 beers total (laughs) i don't know i've never seen that happen on a boat trip and our captain ricky who owns a boat and has been doing boat trips for a long time said he's never seen that happen i think they're usually going through 20 plus cartons of bintang a trip minimum and you know we were there for three weeks and had half a carton so that was pretty hilarious um but yeah, everyone was so surfed out. I mean, literally, no joke. Um, when I say surfing every day for 10 plus hours, that, that's what happened. Um, so literally, when they came in, there was pretty much only time for dinner. And then it was just face down into bed. And then back up the next morning on dark, ready to do it all over again.
2: That's impressive. What do you make of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the
1: only way to think about it. It's mind-blowing. I don't know what it is about being on a boat that makes you just want to drink a million beers and, and even though you're so dehydrated from surfing and being in the sun and just the Indonesian climate, you just have this insatiable appetite for beers. So to be on a boat for three weeks and only drink 11, it, I, I, it's kind of incomprehensible for me. It's, it's bizarre.
2: Yeah, it is like the equivalent, like I said, to that drone shot where it's another one that the you just struggle to comprehend. It just it it, it stumps you. It's uh,
1: actually more mind blowing than the surfing the waves and the and the isolated Indonesian <laughs> adventure.
2: You know, it's it the reminds, real story. Yeah, it reminds me of a story. Uh, Mikey Siramello was in Indo for a while this year, and he met a kid just like a random American kid who was just out of college and super excited to serve as much as he could. And it was still, you know, a pretty weird year in Nando. not like 2020, but 2021 was not full capacity in Nindo by any means. And so this kid found his way onto an all-Brazilian charter boat. Like he just, there's one spot left, and so they just wanted to fill it, and he talked to somebody in the lineup, and all of a sudden there's a good deal, and he jumped on it uh, with just a crew of friends from Brazil – who some of them spoke English, some didn't. And he's just this one random. They gave him a mohawk immediately. Uh, Mikey wrote this funny story about what that experience was like for him. Um, And it's heartwarming. We actually put that out, I think, about 10 days ago. And there's a note in there about how much beer the guys drank. And they had a tally, and it's just this sheet of paper that is full like there is it it would take you a while to add it up so i think that is really the norm in indo whether or not you're you have a mohawk and you know you've been adopted by a boat of brazilians or if you're a crew of australians or americans just not the americans that are chloe and dino friends i guess just 11 it's
1: wow 11 you can't get past it their arms were so spaghetti that they couldn't even lift a full bintang all the way to their lips
2: Another surf film this week, Stab Highway, presented by your friends at Monster Energy, episode two has dropped. So I have this time code. It's a minute and 58 seconds in that I wrote down because that's how long it took me to start hysterically laughing. Oh, that's a good sign. It took me less than two minutes to start. Like I didn't plan on doing this. I just found myself like kind of like laughing so hard that I had to just I was like okay what how long did this take and it was under two minutes um and then the whole episode's great but two minutes in I was already laughing hysterically and uh it's another doozy they are giving Noah Dean a haircut which as we've talked about is apparently good for your garden and I think this is this is inside your house right this this yeah. drunken haircut yeah. that I'm witnessing Fucking 1am, brother. Where's the drinking?
3: It's like Cheek's gonna get his wedding for a fucking week. And Wade gonna eat
0: pies this whole trip. I'm not taking the Least week. I can do is fucking get a air gut.
4: And it's 4 points straight up. Fucking 4 points, lads. If I sleep, and you can get 12
3: points. We yeah, one chance at Cheek, so just fucking nail it. That is insane. Perfect, that.
2: This episode, the first one was on YouTube. This one is on Sab Premium. Uh, the good news is that if you want to see the inside of Danny's house for this haircut, you can go ahead and subscribe to Stab Premium. One thing I noticed, Danny, is that I know it's probably a guest bedroom or whatever, but the walls were... We could use a little bit more decor. And so... Um, <laughs> we are mid-renos at the moment. Okay. Well, I didn't know that. I was just going to say subscribe to Stab Premium and you know help fund some art for Danny's walls. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, another challenge that I really loved from this episode was the air before sunrise that to me is just truly brilliant uh, what what a, what a struggle
1: yeah you know that 's just that to a lot of people who are who are prone to waking up quite sprightly in the morning i don 't know how many people that is, but you 've got to remember that aerial surfers are not those people and they've you know they, they typically are just famous for sleeping in and, and they don't really need to get up because the, the onshore wind is quite often useful when you when you want a board to stick to, to your feet as you lead the lip so aerial surfers just don't
2: wake up early and they also a lot of them stay up really late as they were on this trip i mean everything about it like you said even just like the People who do airs a lot are more likely to have gotten injured. So, you know, you're all creaky in the morning. And, yeah, watching people just try to pull themselves (laughs) out of bed in the morning, get out before sunrise. It looks kind of cold, too. Everything about it it just looks uncomfortable. And that's been my favorite challenge so far. I think that one is just brilliant. Uh, And it's, it's hilarious to watch people try to deal with that. Especially Dion. He's just kind of off it, having to get out of bed. And... He does good. He does some good airs before sunrise, but uh, I really got a kick out of that one. I thought that was yeah, that uh, one's
1: everybody. good. Uh, I actually enjoyed all the surf challenges so much. Like this, I mean, in episode two, we see the shark swim the river with a with a stake attached to your leg. Uh, it doesn't actually mention sharks that challenge, but it's just obviously the first thing we all think of. That's why I almost called it a shark challenge. But and so there's those like really notable challenges that are really easy to talk about, but then. You know, it's the surf challenges. Like even longest floater, it was fucking fascinating. Like longest floater was, it it, it fully blew me away. And and it's all those like little surf challenges, or, or do an air over a rock or a pipe. You really get to see these guys like test their surf skill, their extreme surf skill, in ways that they just never would in a regular surf or a contest. And you start seeing them draw lines and do things and and start surfing waves that would just normally be ignored. So. I loved like anything, all the surf challenges in the water. They they might not be as funny, even though sometimes they are. They're just, they're kind of fascinating.
2: They are. That floater one is fascinating. I'd even say, I do a little like weekly report for staff for just our internal crew. And last week, one of our most popular Instagram clips, one of our top five, and you know, we post a few times a day on there. So it's, we're looking at upwards of 20 per week was a floater clip. And this is not the first time I've seen that. People have a weird fascination with floaters, which actually I don't think it's weird. I back it. Um, I think that if you float a big section, that's almost sketchier than doing an air. I feel like you have more control doing an air. You can kick your board out of your feet. Whereas a floater to try to get into flats from like a really heavy section is probably the scariest thing you can do. Um, so I'm all about the floaters, all about the floater challenge. Another one this week, another film. <clears throat> we had Salty Cruise, not far from here. Um, it looked pretty far from where I am. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> it's pretty far from where I'll ever be because 50% of this movie was, was these guys catching giant fish. And I don't really, I'm not much of a fisher
2: man. Are you a fisher man? I am a fisher man. No, I'm not. I'm not. It is, it was far from me in that regard too, um, there is some good surfing there. I don't I was wondering about that like you know how as surfers we watch like surf clips and we get so excited like it is kind of that like apex moment that great wave or great air whatever it is. I wonder if you're like core fisher person if you're like get that excited like watching some of real oh, I I was was
1: thing mar- like oh thinking that I was thinking that exactly like I was there, I was pretty psyched. I, there's some classics like CJ Hobgood and Matt Miola, which I just love watching that were in that film. And then there's also a bunch of guys I've never heard of before that rip and it's, there's some amazing surfing and, and great waves. But I was thinking that like are they, these, surf, these fishing moments that are just meaning nothing to me, they must be just as exciting for fisher people, right?
2: I guess, but like, I wonder if it's, if it has that like, oh, moment, like, oh, there's the marlin. I don't know. Yeah, because
1: it's actually more exciting than surfing because they're just standing there and then there's just this fish that comes flying out of the water. (laughs) It's, I feel like it's, it's, I don't have that part of my brain, but if I did, it would might be my favorite movie
2: ever. And to continue our brilliant week of surf films, we have got Jai's new film. Can you speak to that one, Danny?
1: Yeah. Well, Jai lindeman he's a young surfer from Lennox Head in Australia and he just picked up Globe. And to my money, oh, no, not to my money, Not what's the expression? In my mind, that is smart money. I don't know how much Globe are paying Jai to join their team, but I'm such a huge fan of his surfing. I feel like he's, he's going to look amazing in Joe G films. He's so... He's so timeless and, and there's something about his surfing that makes me want to actually go and surf more than – watching him makes me want to go and surf more than watching just about anyone right now. I don't know what it is about his – the lines he draws or, or just – it's just like pure feeling or something. He's just – he's such a freak talent and he's unique too. He's not even – he doesn't even really do that much stuff above the lip. It's all just incredible lines and, and, and incredible style.
2: I remember the first few clips I saw Jai like a few years ago and he's still super young. And to see, like, a 13-year-old with a style that you almost want to emulate is a freely special experience. That just doesn't really happen, you know? Um, And it was when I was at Quicksilver, and I remember being like, shit, we should really get this kid. Like, I haven't seen a young kid like this in a while. And then when that whole merger with Billabong happened, now there's this rule that, like, you can't, obviously, if it's owned by the same company, they don't want you, like, having a bidding war amongst each other, because at the end of the day, that... Bills coming from the same place, and so I think they made a rule that you can't really like go after people on other companies within the within that umbrella. It's called board writers. Um, That's
1: a pretty good rule.
2: Yeah, fair. It makes sense, right? But uh, yeah, that meant we couldn't even make a move on Jai. But it's cool that Globe did. Joe G has such incredible taste. Like it's his ability to just identify people who. You know, it's one thing, like, best surfers in the world, Something like Gabriel Medina, Italo, Felipe, Griffin, these people. But Joji has this way to identify people that I think anybody would just want to watch surf. Like, they don't have to be the most talented or be doing the craziest shit, but there's something about, like, I swear, everybody that he kind of leans on that mm. just has, like, maybe they have a unique style It's just... I love Joji's taste. I've loved all his films, and it's just—I think he's a—he's a gift to surfing. That man.
1: Yeah, he's actually—he's been on this show. I interviewed him on here. I don't know, way back, maybe it was the sixth or something episode. And you can find that in the back catalog of this show. And yeah, it's—it's it's interesting just picking his brain and seeing what—what um, what makes him tick. Because so I think you're right. He's—he's—he's he's, he's one of the best minds in surfing, and definitely in surf film. And another another piece on Jai that's actually worth a watch if anyone hasn't seen this, it's on Stab Premium. It's actually one of the one of the things, one of the films we launched Stab Premium with because we loved it so much. Was we gave Jai three of Steph Gilmore's boards from her electric acid surfboard test. Uh, we gave we gave Jai a uh, Simon Jones, a uh, Sean Stussy, and a Channel Islands Black Beauty, and he just ran up and down the beach breaks beach breaks of Oz and really pumping, like the funniest surf you could ever watch. And I think that was the first time a lot of people saw Jai in a 10-minute chunk or 12 minutes, however long that film goes for, and were properly like blown away.
2: Well, let's talk about one more surf film before we get into the surf scene for the week. We got Snap 4 coming to Australia. There's some uh, yeah. word on the street, is there,
1: huh? Who would have thought? It doesn't really feel like a particularly Australian film despite some of the Australian surfers' Featured in it, Uh, people like Jack Robinson and Asher Pacey have got big chunks, and a few other people. But I'm glad I made it here. So yeah, there's a there's a premiere in Byron coming up, and then there is going to also be one on the Gold Coast in Coolangatta. I think got it written down here, October 29th at 5 p.m. So by all reports, that film is a is one that's really worth your time. A lot of a lot of surfers have put huge amounts of effort into this one. There hasn't been a a part-based section film like this in such a long time, and and so this one is—I haven't seen it yet, but I think it's pretty special. You've seen it, Buck?
2: I have not, but oh. I've heard it's special. Mikey, oh, we C only care
1: about the—we only care about the CS.
2: Yeah, no, I've been too head down in the CS to to get around to it. But you know, maybe if they cancel Hallieville, I'll have some more time after I grieve. But. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mikey Seesaw, he wrote a really good review and I I trust his opinion on that kind of stuff so it sounds good Alright, let's surf sin so interesting surf sin this week
5: Hello boys, this is a very fresh surf sin this is Ed from Santa Monica by the way and it was one of the first good fall days at my local beach break and on one of my first waves going right going right into that fall sun, that is, I um, got a cover-up relatively, came out, couldn't see anything, looked up, and the last section was closing out, so I dove over it. Suddenly, I'm laying on top of a seal, or some sort of large sea creature, it's between my legs, and I'm struggling, and I'm trying, and I'm freaked out, because I'm trying to push it away, or and, or kick, or whatever I got to do to get away, and then suddenly, a 75 to 80 year old Russian man with swim goggles pops up, and I felt terrible, and I was trying to apologize, but he had a very stoic look, he said he was okay, but he, he spoke very little English, and he basically swam off, but um, it was hard to shake how bad I felt, considering... I was trying to Mick fanning a shark, and it turned out to be a 75 to 80 year old Russian swimmer. So, I'd love your help to uh, move along from this uh, sin on my healing journey, and I appreciate the work you're doing.
1: Uh, You seem to really enjoy that one, Buck.
2: Oh, my God. Um, Wow. Wow. Okay. Is this even legal? This is... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. I mean, I can relate to that. Um, I was in Spain the other weekend, and the way the sun comes up there, it's just right in your face when it's the morning and you're going left. Uh, we all get that here. And yeah, that's an interesting feeling when you have that. Like when you when you really, there's a few places in the world where the coastline, you just either at sunrise and set, you just can't see shit. Um, so I see what happened here. <laughs> wow, what are you making that Danny? Well, I mean, firstly, I'd just like
1: to commend Ed from Santa Monica for recording surf scene in a quiet room. I don't know yeah. what it is. Most people wait till they're on the on the freeway, put the window down and then decide to just pop open the voice memo app. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess like my first impression was simply like, I mean, I don't want to get into some sort of like philosophical debate but I th- about ethics, but I think intent matters. And I just didn't feel any intent to harm there from, from Ed, you know?
2: Well, one thing that you said, so... I agree that just him recording it in a nice quiet room is good, but I also kind of like the idea of somebody sitting in traffic, just kind of bored, and all of a sudden the guilt comes creeping in and they have to just record their surf sin on the spot. Like that, that to me seems like oh, We'll really take f- them any way they come. Yeah. But the the quiet room was also a pleasure. I agree with you. There's no The intent wasn't there. Um, when I was first When I was first listening, I was thinking, um, you know, dolphins are known for some some behavior uh, that's a little bit aggressive. And they have the intent. Like dolphins, they'll come at you sometimes, especially in a Oh, pool yeah, dolphins market. are
1: rapists. Everyone knows they that. They're
2: full-blown rapists. And so I was like, okay, is Ed just trying to get one back on the dolphins?
1: Um, <laughs> that's what I first, did at first, like at th- at first, I was like, "Oh man! Like, where is this story going? Does he does he fuck this seal? Is this some <laughs> sort of like ac- accidental bestiality going on?" <laughs> yeah, no, there's a, there's a total twist. It, it was it was the first um, it was the first surf scene with a real twist midway through that that really got me.
2: Yeah, and I think about like you know if you're just and you're if you're in shallow water and you're kind of like walking through it and you feel just you, you kind of kick a fish or something, the amount of fear that just like instantaneously jolts your body, you just spaz out. I couldn't imagine the, the reaction you'd get when you just think you're diving off a wave and then all of a sudden think that you have a large creature that might want to mm. bite you and you don't know what's happening. So I'd imagine it was pretty aggressive with this Russian man. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> just what are the odds of that? Like, what are the odds? I think I, it's so much know. better that it was like... it. It wouldn't have been as funny if this guy, if they could just speak the same language after, but like the yeah. confusion of like, hey, why <laughs> did you grope me? And now we don't even have language to kind of like get on the same Would page. That,
1: it's funny you say that because that's actually the penance that came to my mind was that I don't think it's a huge a surf sin, but I do think that we need to offer something up here for Ed from Santa Monica so he can start his healing journey. And I thought given that it wasn't a huge surf sin, these penance can be pretty mild and my penance was that he has to learn how to say sorry i almost accidentally made love to you in russian and just in and just in case it ever happens again
2: i think that's fair i think that it seems a little bit mild for me i think he should probably get into some russian literature and really um <laughs> some chekhov <laughs> yeah familiar, familiarize himself with russian culture as a whole um i think if he can combine that if he can get that kind of background to go off of and then just Cause you know it's like if you just learn a word, it's like you learn a sound. It's not much. I think if you can kind of pair that with some more of a, a background in in Russian culture, Russian literature, then I think that would he'd know where that word's really coming from. I have a deeper sense of it. That way, mean like, it more.
1: You know, things like Sputnik, the Russian satellite.
2: Yeah, that's
1: yeah. that's the that's the extent extent of my Russian knowledge.
2: Uh, that's pretty good, though I think. Um, I wonder what the water temp was. If this was like a Cold War situation, um, <laughs> <laughs> autumn in California. Nice <laughs> Thank you, autumn in California. Not not quite cold, but you know maybe like short arm war. Um, <laughs>
1: Thanks, Buck, and thank you, Ed, from Santa Monica, for sending in your surf sin. Please send all your surf sins into either myself or Buck. Our emails are in the episode description. Buck at StabMag.com and Danny at StabMag.com for my email. For now, let's hear what Mike and Stace have got to say for themselves.
0: doing it again open in the show with a round of applause but it's not for you this time stacy unfortunately our picks uh got fairly obliterated in the portugal event barring maybe betty lou sakura johnson who made the quarters but that clap is for mr brendan buckley who uh made a big claim on zeke Lau coming out victorious and he was of course right so well done buck he uh i mean i guess i guess that really does make them the um true challenger series podcast
4: he still didn't get the Quinella, though, so it was a nice nice start for Buck, and I'm stoked to see him get on the board, and It's going to be a long Challenger Series season, and uh, I look forward to the battle going back and forth, but I think the cusp is still on top at this point, Mikey, on the overall rankings. We're still on the yellow jersey. (laughs) All
0: right, so did you get to uh, watch a lot of this event? Because truth be told, it was a pretty rough uh, hour for me, so I didn't really watch all that much of it.
4: I thought it was a really good time zone for me, and then I forgot that I am the proud father of a toddler, and the bedtime situation is just a terrible time to be watching surfing, so... Yeah, once the young fella goes down, I soon follow. So I didn't actually watch too much of it myself. Uh, but the highlights that I caught up on were, were pretty cool. And I think, um, yeah, my overall impression was it's amazing to see a short and Challenger series in what is looking like going to be quality waves all through Europe. Yeah,
0: well, on that, um, I have, I guess we're supposed to do this at the end of the show, but I have an unpopular opinion that I just need to drop right off the bat. And that is that Huntington Beach is a more exciting venue than, I'm not even going to try to say the name of the wave in Portugal because I'm going to get it all wrong, um, but that slopy, just pretty average, if not below average, point break that they served. It is god-awful. And I actually couldn't believe the like scores that were coming through. Like, If you look at the average heat totals for the back half of that event, especially on the men's side, but also on the women's side. I mean, people are putting up 15 points, 16 points on average, which is insane. You don't see that in most CT events. And you go and you watch the waves, and they're doing float climbs and three-stage cutbacks the whole time. I mean, what the hell is that? I love you.
4: Yeah, you're fucking spot on. Like, the, the heat totals were... Luckily enough, the crew making heat, Zeke Lau, Nat Young, they know... You know, they've been on the tour before, so they know, but there's probably a few QS guys in there that are probably thinking, yeah, I got it. Like, I'm dropping eights and nines. This is, this is how it is, but... Those were like ultimate <laughs> surfer scores. <laughs> Natty Young was dropping a few big ones. Natty Ice, I mean, from Santa Cruz, he looked
0: like he No, nah, was... Natty got way overscored against <laughs> Carlos. I'm calling it right now.
4: Oh, let's hear it. Tell me more.
0: Nat, Nat's doing, I mean, it's not his fault. The wave was flat, but he's doing flat turns and these little, like, like he has such a good backhand and these waves were three out of 10 for him and he was getting nines on them. And Carlos is actually driving through the water and using what little power this wave has to create, like, dynamic turns. And granted, his backup wave, yeah, he only had two turns on it, but the difference between Carlos's first it was an 8-something, I think, or maybe a low 9. And Nat's 9.23. I don't know. Go back and watch that and tell me that is not completely off its head. Carlos is doing, like, psycho turns, and Nat is just kind of flicking the bean. <laughs> oh, shit. Um,
4: yeah, it was funny. Like, I I got a lot more fired up over the, the women's event. I thought the, the women were actually surfing that wave pretty well for how difficult it was. And I'm right with you on the men's. It was, um, from what I saw, it was... I know I said it's good to see the Challenger Series in waves, which I stand by that. There's a lot worse QS venues in the world that you can end up at, and this one's certainly not too bad. But when you're looking at the scores that crew are getting,
0: and then when you're really breaking down the wave like you did, it's it's hard it to would get too be far a wave up. that I'm sure is extremely fun to surf. Like if you and I went out there, we would have a blast.
4: I would never paddle out that wave. You would never go Straight out?
0: Straight up. No chance. <laughs>
4: nah. I, you just got to ride uh, your nah. mid No. <laughs> I don't have one yet. Um, look, nah, I wouldn't paddle out that wave. I actually thought of that when I was watching it. I'm going, this wave looks so hard. You've got to work so hard to get any kind of decent turn done. And then the paddle back looks so tough. And you're just dicing with death on that inside section. Like, no barrel on the inside or anything. Like... Yeah no. It was, <laughs> I, oh, it was Betty a, Lou got a barrel. Did she? Oh, I missed that one. I mustn't have seen that. But uh, yeah, it was and a um, nine
0: point four three for
4: one turn. Hammer that turn was sick, and that is a classic example of what are the judges looking for. Never in a million years would a judge tell you that they are looking for that. They just want to see ripping, and when they see ripping, they'll score it. And uh, yeah, I was spewing to not see her win the comp. She narrowly lost in the quarters. Uh, but yeah, she was ripping up until that point And even the heat that she lost, she was on fire So, yeah On to the next one, eh?
0: Yeah, and uh, on that point though Congrats to dual finalist Gabrielle O'Brien Who took her second second In two events And she is, I mean, we can just say it right now She's a lock for the CT next Break week. it, break no the news way she's yeah, not.
4: We break news on this podcast Yeah, yeah and she, I agree <laughs> Yeah congratulations you heard it here first on the cusp podcast the stab cusp that is and congratulations I think Gabriella belongs on tour she's got a great great powerful natural style and uh, I think she's going to be able to match the power that some of the waves on tour offer up so yeah I'm excited to see her on tour I know she's pretty much done it the whole way without a you know a major sticker up the top of her nose of her board so um, that's got to feel good for her to bank some huge results and Hasn't hasn't chalked up that win yet, so I'm sure the fire's still in the belly, but she's on. 16,000 points in two events. That's a huge
0: effort. Yeah, well, and she's so. got a big backup uh, event as well, so she's at like 21,000 right now, which is... She'll probably win the series, honestly. Um, and then on the other hand, we have Luana Silva, who is also a teenager, also uh, Hawaiian, and she took the victory over here, so... Congrats to Luana with a buzzer-beater victory. If you haven't watched that final,
4: I highly recommend to go back and watch it. It was an absolute ripper. Crazy first exchange. Maybe some inflated scoring, like we spoke about, but that's okay. It's fun to dream sometimes. But how it all played out at the end with, like, 90 seconds to go, and unfortunately, Gabriella took a wave that she probably didn't need to and left the gate open And Luana just walked right through it and credit to her, did not hold back, teed off on her last opportunity and turned the heat as the siren went as she finished the wave. And it's in the arms of this woman. If she can get a 7-3-3 on this wave, last chance... For Luana Silva,
1: good-looking section. Smashes the lip with a nice vertical turn. 7-3-3, three, three, that requirement. Massive Whoa. turn from her. And she'll go again here, hit it again. Oh. And what drama oh at the end of the women's final. We're out of time. The horn going, numbers in, and the score, it's enough. an 8-2-3 oh goes back into the excellent range, crucially gets that number, <laughs> and you champion. What drama at the end of this
4: final. Yeah, classic buzzer beater. Heartbreak for Gabriella, but for Luana, like she'll take so much confidence out of that.
0: Yeah, so she's obviously in a better place now in terms of qualification as well. Um, And it's interesting because both of these girls are Hawaiian, so maybe it applies less to them. Maybe have they have experience out there already, but it's got to be pretty uh, daunting if you're a girl coming from, say, I don't know, like say Australia or some country that's not Hawaii, essentially and thinking that your first stop on tour might be pipeline, right? That's got to be like, kind of like, holy shit. (laughs) What am I getting myself into? I think that's going
4: to strike fear into a lot of people across the men's and women's tour. That's a really, really gnarly way to open up the season, uh, no matter who you are, um, unless you are Hawaiian, I think, or you've spent a lot of time there Um, because, oh man, I couldn't imagine warming up out there. Like imagine, you know, not everyone can paddle out with a helper because I know it's not exactly, um, you know, we saw that last year <laughs> with Moana and Tatiana. It's not exactly, uh, you know, PC. And I've seen other surfers do it around the world, but I don't think you can be doing it out the eye.
0: There's just too much going on. And what about Jacko Baker? Newcastles, or is it Narrabeen? I always get those two mixed up. That's fine. He's uh, from Merriweather, which um,
4: is... Yeah, Newcastle. Yeah, exactly. Greater greater Newcastle region, but he's a part of the Meriwether Boardwriters Club. And uh, yeah, the bakehouse, all the way to the top shelf bakery in Ribera de Ilhas. Um, Look, if you follow Jaco Baker on Instagram uh, and you see the way that he surfs Meriwether when it gets, you know, six foot plus, that wave's just custom built for him. He's got this incredible ability to carry speed through, like what you said earlier, a wave that doesn't really have many areas of speed and he nearly did the double because Ryan Callanan actually took that event out uh, the last time that event was held uh, as a Challenger Series event so the Newcastle Merriweather boys have got a great relationship with that wave and I think it's got a lot to do with with what they surf at home and yeah stoked to see a young Aussie doing really well overseas it's um, pretty difficult for the Aussies to travel at the moment so it's good to see them all together and um Yeah, the men's and women's kind of Aussie contingent all down there cheering Jacko on. Yeah, hopefully he can take that over into France, which is obviously just around the corner. And yeah, again, a little reference to Jacko's Instagram. The guy can do it all. He just put up a massive backside air on a one-foot little closeout. It just sort of his his rig he's he's a big unit but he's so nimble it's crazy he's he's custom built for just about every wave in the world i think
0: do you think there's some level of uh somebody like jacko seeing what morgan's done and being like fuck if he can do it i can do it a hundred percent
4: there's always one in the crowd that sort of steps above um you know people's perceived expectation of them and it lifts everyone else they're just looking at him going you're that guy that I used to flog in the club rounds at home. Like no way I'm coming for you. And that's, I think Morgan's would have done that for so many young Aussies. Like he's, he's carried the torch and he's carried the torch into a a realm that is uncharted. (laughs) Like he finished fifth in the world. Like that's like Julian Wilson, Owen Wright shit. Yeah. 10 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. You're right. But you know what I mean? Like it's, it's more than just, he didn't just get on tour. You know, he, fucking obviously went went deep so yeah it's cool to see i think it would have lifted a lot of crew so yeah jacko definitely being one of them
0: yeah so that will be interesting um and yeah so back to the men we obviously have zeke winning now this brings up an interesting storyline because zeke as we know is the ultimate surfer he won that game show and that means that he earned himself three event wild cards into ct events which Looking at his positioning now at the top of the Challenger Series, I think he is also, I don't want to say it for sure, but I think at 14 odd thousand points, he's probably a lock and he'll gain more points uh, no matter what at the French and Haliva event. So, yeah, we can say that he's pretty much in. Uh, so, those wild cards are now up in the air, and we actually reached out to the WSL to see if those would then go automatically down to Koa who got second place in the Ultimate Surfer and the answer is just a flat no <laughs> they're they are not looking to kind of like develop that storyline any further which i see as a bit of a miss for them in terms of marketing but yeah they're being pretty brutal with their wild cards this year um even the uh double qualifiers which used to go to the next QSer in line and then the next CTer in line those are now just going into the Cell's back pocket as well. And at current time, we have three double qualifiers on the men's side, being Griffin Colapinto, Kano Igarashi, and Leo Fioravanti. So um, it could get really, really interesting come wildcard season about who gets these things because the Cell seems to have a lot of power.
4: I, I agree with you with the the Cole Smith thing. Um, you know, I think it's quite clear that we're a Challenger Series podcast and not an Ultimate Surfer podcast. But putting the boot on the other foot, if you've invested all this time and money into this show,
0: why wouldn't you use it? Right? That's what I'm... Like, all they have to say is, like, this only validates their show. It's like, we anointed Zeke as this ultimate surfer, and what does he do? He goes out and proves it on that same level. So he's like, he took that confidence that we gave him and turned it into a legitimate tour qualification, which is incredible. And then... You get to give this bonus to Koa, who also showed up huge in that show for you, and it allows them to like keep this narrative going. I don't know why they would just let it die over some, I don't know, semantics, really.
4: Yeah, look, I didn't get to watch the show at all, obviously, being in Australia and not that keen to get a VPN and watch it. I saw little bits on Instagram, and what I saw was Koa fully investing in the show. He, you know, all jokes aside... He he got really got stuck into it. And I think it's a shame that, you know, they obviously held a spot for someone. That spot isn't needed anymore. Yeah. Like, you give it to the next person in line. I mean,
0: I... I yeah, what, you're going to give it to, like, the next Quicksilver guy that, like, no. <laughs> you know, yeah, like... Yeah, I don't know. Like,
4: maybe I am an Ultimate Surfer fan. <laughs> I just think,
0: <laughs> look, I think the whole idea is
4: pretty out there. But like I said, if you're going to invest all this time and money into it, Give the guy a leg up, and are you kidding me? Cole Smith, first event of the year, pipeline. The guy could easily chalk up a ninth or a fifth, or even bigger result there, and <laughs> he could stay on tour.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's insane. Well, if you want to learn a little bit more about this whole wild card situation, we actually have a piece on Stab Premium written by Brendan Buckley um, that gets really into the weeds, and it's actually really fascinating. Um, it sounds like, from what we understand, the WSL basically has these two wild cards at the end of every season that they can give out. So we can assume that Kolohe will get one for the men. Lakey will get one for the women. Then that means the WSL has two left over. Um, We've heard that they've made their decisions on who those will be, but they haven't announced them yet. But yeah, it looks like there are a lot of other wild cards that are potentially going to be in the mix as well. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. But for the meantime, yeah, you can go check out the full story on Stab Premium.
4: Indeed, that is going to be an absolute... An adjective I don't really want to use right now. Interesting situation for the WSL when it comes through. There could be applications for a spot on tour just coming, you know, out of the woodworks. <laughs> so it's gonna be interesting to see who who puts their hand up. And uh I guess that's really favourable for people like, you know, potentially Maddie McGivray and Owen Wright, if there's a few double qualifiers in there and an ultimate surfer spot that gets thrown back to the tour. Um yeah. Or us, right. <laughs> uh yeah, nah. Um, <laughs> I think Owen. Yeah, first event of the year, Pipeline. I'm, I'm injured. Definitely injured. Um, I think that. Uh, yeah, Owen Wright's the ultimate surfer in my eyes. So I think uh, I'd be stoked to see him get a wild card. And uh, yeah, again, what a way for him to start the year, Pipeline. That'd be that'd be huge if he if he managed to find himself back on tour again.
0: All right, so uh, coming up soon, probably pretty much as this podcast is dropping, is the France event starts. It's the Quickie Pro, but it's obviously a Challenger Series event this year, and the Roxy Pro. And it looks like the forecast starts a bit slow, and then it comes in pretty hot with a bit of... uh, what would that be? Eastern Atlantic juice. So yeah, France is going to deliver as well. The winds look a little bit dicey. Uh, looks like it's going to be probably some chunky beach break, maybe even shore break conditions. If we bring it down to, uh, La Grave. uh, what are you thinking? How are you feeling about this event and who do you see going far? Feeling pretty good about
4: this event. Um, I'd like to see, you know, big wild La Grave for at least a few heats, but as you know, watching the CT, um, you really only get a couple of hours out there. It's not uh, Le Gravie is not all-day material, but certainly either side of that, at you know, but maybe up the road at Le Panon or the other way can get fun. So I'm assuming the event's just as mobile as what a CT is going to be, and they can just pick apart the sandbars as they need. And um, yeah, that's a that's a place where, as a competitor, you've just got to be got to be prepared for anything.
0: All right. So who are your picks? Give me a man and a woman.
4: I'm going to go Macy Callahan and the women. She got second there in the CT a few years ago and uh, I think she's due for a big result. And in the men, I'm going to ride uh, Emai Kalani DeVault into a big win at this one. I thought he looked incredible at Portugal and um, yeah, I think he's a surfer that, kind of like Gabriella with the women, I think there's some people that do the QE that just look like they belong on the CT and um, I think he's one of those guys. He's a big, powerful kid and Yeah, I I hope that uh, he makes a few heats here and um, we see him on tour next year. Yeah, wow,
0: he came out of nowhere in Portugal and just looked so dominant. I loved seeing that. We were obviously down in Costa Rica with him earlier this year for Stab High, and he's an amazing aerialist. Surprisingly, you know, he's a big kid and he's so nimble, Um, but seeing him on those open faces, it feels like that is where he's, like, truly at home, and it was so good to see him open up in an event. And he actually had a couple heats in the U.S. Open where he looked really good, um, you know, despite how small those waves were. So, yeah, I think he's kind of really made himself into an all-around great surfer, which is really cool to see because he used to just be kind of this, like, styly kid that you loved watching surf, but you didn't really expect him to, like, comp out. And not that he looks like he's, like, comping out in the, you know, QS sense, but he just looks like he's there and he's, like, mentally ready to surf at this level against these guys which is awesome
4: no i know i know exactly what you mean you you saw his part in um psychic migrations the vulcan movie and you're kind of looking at him going wow i'd love to see if he develops that you know talent that he obviously had into you know a competitive sort of format and and he has and it's 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 awesome to see so Yeah, currently third on the ratings with two events to go. They're obviously taking the top 10, not in counting double qualifiers. So he's looking really good. Uh, What about you, though, Mike Mann? What's, um, What's your roster looking like for France?
0: All right, so I went a similar direction with you in the women. And I mean that in the sense of Stab Highway, presented by Monster Energy. So I'm going with Holly Wan. She was, uh, like Macy Callahan, a captain of one of the teams in Stab Highway, and my whole thinking is if she survived 10 days in a van with Harry Bryant, she can definitely handle a little French beach break. Um, Harry has more energy than pretty much any human known to man, like even the... The night before the event started, he never went to bed. He was out partying in Surfer's Paradise, and then he just shows up and nails one of the best sessions of the entire trip. So I'm thinking that if she can handle living with that for 10 days, that, yeah, this event's going to be no problem for her whatsoever because it will require some stamina, uh, currents and rips and swell, everything in in the French Breach Break. So, uh, yeah, I got Holly for the win over there. And then for the men, I'm going with Carlos Munoz. Um, I think his surfing is incredible. He surfs a heavy beach break every day at home in Costa Rica. Um, Again, I think he got kind of robbed in Portugal. I think he got kind of robbed at sunset last year or two years ago. And I think he got robbed at the Olympics as well. So I think the universe owes him one. And I think one huge result here and he will finally achieve that CT status that he's deserved for so long.
4: You're calling the trifecta of robbery is just going to lead into a loot for Carlos in France.
0: Yeah, I I don't see it going any other way, to be honest. Uh, I think all the stars are aligning, and it's finally going to be his moment. Quick shout out. I know we are a shortboard high-performance
4: podcast, but I would like to congratulate the longboard world champions, Joel Tudor and Honolulu Bloomfield. And I'm absolutely gutted that our boy Harry Roach didn't bring home the um, silverware, but that's all right. There's always next year. Well done, Harry. Yeah, based Great on showing. his
0: performance in uh, The Mysterious Affair, I think Harry needs to switch it up and come onto the Challenger series. I think that's probably where the real uh, success for him is at. I reckon
4: he'd do all right. No, it might
0: take a lot of convincing, though. <laughs> all right, uh, Stace, I guess we'll chat after France. This has been The Stab Cusp. Over and out.
1: Thanks, Mike and Stace, and thanks for listening. That is all we've got for this week. See you next week.